two years ago, I was watching the NBA draft with my dad when the commissioner of the NBA, David Stern, stepped up to the podium and announced that my Minnesota Timberwolves had selected Ricky Rubio from Barcelona, Spain with the fifth pick in the draft. I jumped to my feet, pumped my fists, let out a war whoop, and ran to call my buddy Stamps down in Texas, who, like me, had been dreaming about behind-the-back, no-look, alley-oop passes from the floppy-haired 18-year-old Rubio. I don't want to say I was obsessed, but, you know, maybe a little bit. Well, hey, Eaglebrook, uh, I'm in the car with Video Guy Jim, and uh, we are headed down to the Minneapolis airport. Ricky Rubio is set to arrive at 12.30 from Barcelona, Spain, and I'm going to be the first one there to welcome him to Minnesota and uh, be the crazy fan that I am. Did you ever know that you're my hero? And as if that wasn't pathetic enough, one of my friends took a picture of his TV, and this is the picture that he got. I don't think I've ever even looked at my wife like that. Ricky, if you're watching, I am sorry. My man crush on you got way out of control. It's all true. Uh, welcome, everybody, to Eaglebrook Church. Great to have you with us today. If you're at one of our campuses or you're watching online, as you can see, I have had quite the man crush on Ricky Rubio over the years, and it's all true. When he was drafted, I pumped my fists when the Timberwolves took him. I was one of the first people at the airport when he flew into Minnesota for the first time, and I've always kind of joked about wanting to get to meet Rubio and become best friends with him. Now, it's not that he's my favorite player in the NBA, but I've always appreciated how he sees the game of basketball. I'll tell my sons, he's playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers. He just sees where the open guy is going to be about three moves before everyone else. I also like him because he's kind of a character. For example, last year after the Timberwolves traded for Kevin Garnett to come back to Minnesota, they interviewed Rubio about what it was going to be like to play with Garnett. Now, English is not his first language, okay? So cut him a little slack on this. But when they interviewed him, what he meant to say was, he's a winner, referring to Garnett, and I'm a winner, so it's going to work out great. But in his Spanish accent, what came out was, he's a wiener, and I'm a wiener. <laughs> How can you not want to meet the guy who called Kevin Garnett a wiener? So a couple months ago, a friend of mine emailed me and he said, hey, I think we can make this happen. It's kind of a friend of a friend of a brother sort of situation, but it was all set up for me and my two oldest sons to meet Rubio after a Timberwolves game in March. Now, my 10-year-old son and my 8-year-old son are a complete wild card when it comes to proper social etiquette. <laughs> so as we're driving down to the game, I'm trying to give them a little last-minute coaching. And I'm like, ask Rubio a question. Questions communicate interest in another person. My eight-year-old son pops in from the back seat. Hey, I got one. Hey, Ricky, are you a wiener? Am I a wiener? I said, don't you blow this for me. This is a big moment in my life. The game itself was a total disaster. The Timberwolves lost by 30. I normally would have left in the third quarter, but the plan was for Rubio to get showered and all of that and then come out to the target center floor after the game. Don't you want to know if he stiffed me or not? Take a look at the side screens. 
cross that off the bucket list. Now, as you can tell from this picture, we were way happier to be there than Ricky was. <laughs> they had just lost by 30, so you can kind of understand. Now that I've met Rubio, my new goal in life is to someday fit into those jeans that he's wearing. <laughs> I'm looking at him like, how are you even alive wearing those jeans? It's just, it's incredible. But Rubio was incredibly gracious. I mean, how many professional athletes come back out onto the floor after a game to meet a pastor and take a picture with his kids? The whole thing made me like him even more. But here's my question for you. Are Ricky Rubio and I friends? No, we're not. I've met him, I can say that. I can say that I may have stalked his Instagram page and scrolled through his Twitter feed a few times, but that doesn't mean that we're friends. In fact, sociologists are now saying that social media is starting to change how we define friendship. For example, I can guarantee you that 10 years ago, none of you would have picked up your phone and called all of your friends to tell them that you were having pancakes for breakfast. But these days, you might take a picture of those pancakes with your phone, hashtag made them myself better than Perkins, and you'll put that up on social media so that now all of your friends can know that you're having pancakes for breakfast. They don't care, but now they know what you're having. Or you can take a picture of yourself, known as a selfie. We had to create a word for this phenomenon. And if you don't like the picture of yourself, what do you do? We just take another picture. You stick your hips out a little bit more and you get those duck lips going like this. And then you take that picture and you post it on social media for all of your friends. This is why sociologists are now saying that some people are starting to become more concerned with their online image than they are with face-to-face -face friendships. But here's the deal. You can have more likes, you can have more followers, friends, fans than anyone else. And if you don't have a couple of close, trusted, face-to-face -face friends, there will be a void in your life. That's why some people feel so lonely and never quite reach their full potential in life because they need some other friendships, some people to come along to help them reach that potential. A few weeks before I met Ricky Rubio, I went out to dinner with one of my really good friends from college. He's a roommate of mine. And as we ate, he started to talk about some of the things he's been struggling with. And he was super transparent. And his transparency kind of gave me permission to talk about the things that I've been struggling with in life. And so we confessed our sins to each other. We agreed to pray for one another. And I went home that night and I told my wife, that was the best night. I actually liked it way more than I did the night meeting Ricky Rubio. Look what the Bible says about this in James chapter 5. It says, confess your sins to who? To God? Well, yeah, you should confess your sins to God. But he says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that some of you are one confession and one prayer away from being healed. And I don't necessarily mean a physical healing. Because what happens when you find a trusted friend in your life and you feel comfortable enough to confess to that person my anger is out of control. I mean, I've been just yelling at my kids like crazy. I've been yelling at my spouse and treating them poorly. I need you to pray for me and hold me accountable on this. Or you can say, you know what? I'm really close to an affair. 
I need you to come in and, and help me get out of this situation. I need you to pray for me. I'm struggling with lust. I'm doubting my faith. I'm really down and depressed. And then you can confess that and have that person pray for you. Do you know what happens? There's a healing that takes place in your life. I have found that just the very act of confessing my sin to another person brings a freedom into my life. That's why Pastor Craig Rochelle says this. It's so good. He says, we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. You may impress people with your strengths and all the things that you're good at, but it's when you drop your online persona and you begin to talk about your struggles, your fears, your anxieties, your temptations, and your sins, that's when other people go, oh, me too. I struggle with the exact same thing, and now you're starting to connect with each other. But some people don't want to connect like that. In fact, experts say that there is a phobia that is one of the fastest growing phobias in the world today. It's one of the fastest growing phobias in America, and it's the fear of talking on the phone. Some of you have this fear, because when somebody calls you, what do you do? You're like, oh, let them leave a message. And then 10 minutes later, if they didn't leave a message, you text them. what you want? Because when you're texting, you're in control. You can think about what the other person has said. You can craft your own response in reply. But when you're on the phone, well, you don't know where that conversation's gonna go. You're not in control. And that is beginning to terrify some people. I think I might have this phobia, by the way. I hate talking on the phone. But this is just a sign that our culture is starting to struggle with face-to-face -face relationships. There are other indications as well. In his book, Bowling Alone, author Robert Putnam notes that playing cards with friends is down 25% since 1950. Having a night with your neighbors, down 33%. Putnam notes that the average American today has two close friends which is down from three just a few years ago and down from six 25 years ago. One in four Americans now report that they do not have a single close, trusted friend in their life. We are literally starving for relational intimacy, so much so that it's become big business. A few months ago, I was reading an article in the Star Tribune that kind of caught my attention, and it was about this new business called Snuggle Buddies. I don't know if you've heard of this or not, but you can pay people to come over to your house to snuggle you. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It's $1 per minute, and sessions range from 15 minutes up to five hours. Now, clothes stay on, so this is purely for the cuddles. But what caught my attention in reading this article was one of the most common demographics that uses a service like this is middle-aged men who are successful business executives. Just think about that for a moment. These are men who have achieved a high level of success in their professional life. But their personal life is so void of relational intimacy that they are literally willing to pay for positive human touch. All of this reinforces what God said to people thousands of years ago. He said this, it is not good for us to be alone. He said that to the very first people, Adam and Eve. It's not good for you to be alone. In other words, you were created for friendship. 
first with God and then with other people. I think one of the greatest needs that every single one of us has in common is for a true friend. Henry Cloud calls these a 2 a.m. friend. A 2 a.m. friend is somebody that you can call at any time of the night and that would be perfectly fine and acceptable. It's a friend that you would feel comfortable talking about your deepest secrets and sins with. Let me ask you, is there a person in your life who's like that? How many 2 a.m. friends do you have? How many people in your life do you feel comfortable talking about your deepest struggles and sins with? Can you think of anyone like that? What's interesting is that sociologists are now telling us that you are the average of your five closest friends. In other words, if you get wasted on the weekend, most likely you've got a couple close friends who do that with you as well. If you're a person who loves God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and you read the Bible and you come to church, most likely you've got a couple of close friends in your life who do that as well. You are the average of your five closest friends. So let me ask you, what do your five closest friends say about you? Proverbs 13 puts it this way. It says, walk with the wise and you will become what? You will become wise. If you want to be a great leader, you need to hang out with other great leaders. If you want to become a wise person, you need to hang out with other people who have wisdom. But then look at what the verse says next. Walk with the wise and you will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Before I was a follower of Christ and I wasn't... And it was in high school and things like that, I rarely got in trouble alone. I generally got in trouble because I was a companion of people who were influencing me in that direction. That's why I've heard it said, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You show me your friends and I'll show you what your future is going to look like. So what do your friends say about your future? All this leads us to the series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks called Making of a Giant Killer. We've been looking at the life of David and how God prepared him to be the king of Israel and defeat giants like Goliath in his life. And today's message is titled, Entrust Your Life to a Few Close Friends. You want greatness in the future. You have to entrust your life to the right friends and to a few good friends. Let me set the context before we jump into 1 Samuel chapter 18, but the king at this time is a man named Saul, and Saul has a son named Jonathan. Jonathan is the rightful heir to the throne. He thinks he's going to be king one day, but then along comes this shepherd boy named David, and the prophet Samuel declares that David, not Jonathan, is going to be the king of Israel one day. David then goes on to defeat this giant named Goliath, and he's so successful in subsequent battles that a song gets written about David. Here's how the song goes. Saul has slayed his thousands, but David has slayed his tens of thousands. Well, Saul doesn't like that song very much. He gets pretty jealous, and he gets so jealous, in fact, that he takes a spear and he throws it at David's head, tries to kill him. Now, what's interesting about this is that Saul, at this time, is David's boss, David is a commander in his army. He plays the harp for Saul in his palace. How many of you have ever had a tough relationship with your boss? Ever had your boss throw a spear at you? That's the situation David's in right now. 
And it's into that situation that God sends David a gift. It's the gift of a friend. But this friend is very unexpected. Because it's none other than Jonathan, Saul's son. The one who's competing with David for the leadership of the nation of Israel. I mean, what are the odds of a friendship forming here? This is kind of like Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton buying matching outfits and getting a tandem bike together. It's, it's just not real likely that that's going to happen. Two people competing for the leadership of that, their nation. That was Jonathan and that was David. And yet at just the time when they needed it, God brought them together in a friendship. And I see four essential ingredients in this story to every great friendship. If you want to take some notes and write these down, these are the kinds of things that you should be looking for in your friends. These are the kinds of things you should be evaluating in your friendships. There are four essential ingredients to every great friendship. And the first one is this, commonality. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 18, verse 1. It's where we'll pick up the story. It says, when David met Jonathan the king's son, there was an immediate bond of love between them and they became the best of friends. Another translation says it this way. It says, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as himself, which means that their souls were made of the same fabric. There was an immediate attraction, not in a sexual kind of way, but in a friendship sort of way. They hit it off immediately. Why? Well, the text doesn't directly say, but most likely, it's because they had so much in common. Both David and Jonathan were fierce warriors in battle. David's reputation is well known, but Jonathan was his equal. They were both great leaders. They had the stuff that kings were made of. And then most importantly, they shared a deeply held love for God. They had a common faith. I've had many kinds of friendships in my life, but by far the most fulfilling to me personally were with people who love Jesus Christ as much as I do. And that's not to say that I don't have non-Christian friends because I do, and I try to be intentional about those relationships as well. But when you find someone who has a faith in Christ like you do, you go beyond the surface, you go beyond common interests, and that's when a deep friendship begins to form. In his book, Quality Friendship, author Gary Ingrid says it this way. He says, the quality of friendship is always determined by the quality of that which unites them. In other words, if all you have in common is drinking beer and watching the twins, and with the way twins are playing right now, you probably are drinking a lot of beer if you're still watching them play. But if all you have in common is drinking beer and watching the twins, you can forget about a deep kind of friendship. That only happens when you have a commonality of shared values and a shared faith in Christ. It's the first essential ingredient. Second essential ingredient is this. It's loyalty. Go, it says in verse 3. It says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Now that word covenant, it might not be familiar to all of us, but what it means is a binding promise. So Jonathan is making a covenant with David, and this is a big deal in that culture. Jonathan is saying to David, I will be loyal to you no matter what. I will stand by you no matter what. It's what great friendships are made of. Question, 
Do you have a friend whose loyalty to you is unquestioned? And are you that kind of friend to someone else? Jonathan even endured the abuse and the hatred of his own father because of his loyalty to David. It all started when Saul tries to throw this spear at David's head. And David has to try to escape, and the person who helps him escape is Jonathan. When Saul finds out what his own son has done, look at what he says to his own son. And this is amazing. He says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Now you understand, our Bible translators are being very careful here. (laughs) You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. It's not all he was really saying. He was saying more than that. But the point is, this is about of a hurtful and hateful thing as any father can ever say to their son. And Jonathan endured that because of his loyalty to David. It's what great friendships are made of. Third essential ingredient to any great friendship that you'll have in your life is generosity. What is the opposite of generosity? It's selfishness. And selfishness is a relationship killer. If all you ever do from your friends is take, 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 then you're eventually going to find yourself lonely and alone. Because look at what it says Jonathan did for David in verse 3. It says, And Jonathan made a special vow to be David's friend, and he sealed the pact by giving him his robe, tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Now again, this doesn't make as much sense to us in our world today, but he, the robe that he gave him was his royal robe. And there were only two people that got to wear the royal robe. It was the king and his son. Then it says that Jonathan gave David his sword. What's so significant about that? Well, look at what it says in 1 Samuel 13. This is a little bit of context. It says, So on the day of battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. You see, the Philistines, which is a rival nation, they had the corner market on metal. And so the Israelites only had two swords in the entire kingdom. One of them was Saul's, and one of them was Jonathan's. Jonathan is giving David his most prized possession. Point is, there's nothing like generosity to start a friendship. Have you noticed this? I was thinking about this. Some of my best friends... I became friends with them after they invited me to a Timberwolves game or a Twins game or gave me tickets. I had one person who gave me a gift card for dinner and we became friends after that. Point is, if you want to be my friend, it's super easy. Just give me something, okay? (laughs) I'm open and available to that kind of stuff. But the point is, there's actually some truth here. There's nothing like generosity to start a friendship. And I'll just be honest with you, I'm not very good at this. But I want to get better. Because I don't want to be the kind of person who just takes, takes, takes from their friends. Some of us need to get outside of our little world this week. And outside of, I'm so busy and I've got so much going on. I don't have time for that and I don't have time for them. And do something generous for one of your close friends. Send them a text message to encourage them. Get them something. Generosity is an essential ingredient to great friendships. The fourth essential ingredient is encouragement. I've worn contacts since I was in high school, and I would have gotten glasses as well, but my eyes just kept getting worse. And so I was waiting for them to kind of level out before I invested in glasses. 
Well, this past year, I think my eyes hit rock bottom, and so I went and got a pair of glasses. But I was so used to my contacts that I rarely ever wore the glasses. I just wasn't comfortable in them. Until a few weeks ago, I woke up and I couldn't even open my left eye. I mean, it was watering and it was painful. And so I, even my glasses were upsetting my eye. And so I drove to the eye doctor with one eye closed and no contacts or glasses on. Okay, don't try that at home, kids. And when I got to the doctor, he said, oh, you know, you got some bacteria on your hand and you got an eye infection. He said, no contacts for a week. So for a whole week, I wore my glasses. And I kept waiting for someone, anyone, who would say, oh, I like your glasses. Or, hey, you look really good in glasses. Instead, Bob called me four eyes at least six times. <laughs> Greg Grimstad, who's our care pastor, like he's supposed to care about people. That's in his job title. He passed me in the hallway, and all he said to me was, you're aging. That's <laughs> all so he said. Didn't even say hi or bye or anything. It was just, you're aging, and walked right past me. Finally, someone at lunch said, oh, I, I like your glasses. But then that started a whole conversation about my glasses. And I had to pass them around, and everybody puts them on. They're like, oh, you're blind. You can't even see. And that was even worse. What's my point in telling you this story? I need some new friends. I need some people who would encourage me, just like Jonathan encouraged David. In fact, let me just jump ahead in the story a little bit here. After Saul throws this spear at David, David flees to the wilderness. He's living in a cave. He is at the lowest point of his life. And look at what it says that Jonathan did for him in that moment. It says, Jonathan went to find David. Sometimes you need to go find a friend. You haven't heard from them, you know they're struggling, and you need to take some initiative, and you need to go find that friend. Jonathan went to find David, and he encouraged him to stay strong in his faith. Don't be afraid, Jonathan assured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the next king of Israel, and I will be next to you. So the two of them renewed their covenant of friendship before the Lord. Ever been at a low point in your life? Some of us are there right now. And you look at this year and you go, oh, this has just been the toughest year I've ever had. It's a hard year at work. Health-wise, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year with friendships or with your kids. One of the great gifts that God will give you during a time like that is the gift of a friend. Look what the New Testament says in Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, in other words, since we have so many people around us who trust Christ and who love him, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Who's your Jonathan in your life? Who's that person that when you're tempted to give up running this race of faith, they come alongside you and they're like, stay strong in the Lord. And when something's happening to you and you don't understand why, they come along and go, you know, you just need to trust God in this moment. Or they're, they're praying for you. Every single one of us needs a friend like that. I mentioned at the beginning that I got a chance to meet Ricky Rubio earlier this year. But what I didn't tell you was how the story ended. See, Rubio's friend knew that Ricky's family was going through some things. And he also knew that I was a pastor, and so he asked me, he said, would you be willing to pray for Ricky's family? 
And so right there in the middle of Target Center, we circled up and held hands. We bowed our head and closed our eyes, and we prayed for Ricky's family. I was holding my son Hudson's hand. Hudson was holding Rubio's hand. Afterwards, Hudson said to me, he said, Dad, that was like the worst prayer you've ever prayed. He said, I could tell you were so nervous. And he's right. I would just fumble through the whole thing. It was a disaster. But I got done afterwards, and I was so moved by this friend who would be willing to say, hey, would you, would you pray for my friend? And it just struck me that no matter how many fans or followers you might have or fortune you might have, every single one of us needs a person in our life to encourage us. I was there for an autograph and picture, but God had something so much more powerful in mind. God brought us there to pray and to encourage. That's why I said earlier, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. If you're hanging out with people right now who abuse drugs or alcohol, you may not realize it, but you might have your own addiction coming in the future. If all of your friends are getting a divorce right now, can I just tell you as a pastor, I see this all the time, a woman gets a divorce and then her friend calls her and says, oh, you know, I'm really struggling in my marriage. Can I just tell you the advice that you're most likely going to get? Dump him. He doesn't deserve you. You deserve better than him. I see it all the time. You show me your friends and I will show you your future. Conversely, if you're hanging out with people who are generous, you are well on your way to being a generous person. If you hang out with people who have a real relationship with Jesus Christ and they want to know him more on a daily basis, that's going to rub off on you. And if you're hanging out with couples who have strong marriages and are attempting to raise godly kids, that is going to be your best bet to have a strong marriage and raise godly kids as well. You show me your friends, and I will show you your future. So what do your friends say about your future? If you're in high school, middle school, college, what do your friends say about your future? If you're a young adult or middle age, what do your friends say about the direction of your life? Because you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Maybe you're looking at your friends and you're going, you know what, that's who I want to be in five years. But maybe you're looking at your friendships and you're going, you know what, I need to get some new influences in my life. Let me just close with four comments about friendship. These are important. The first comment is this. There are some people who are incapable of maintaining close relationships because of what I call relational viruses. Anger, selfishness, dishonesty, manipulation, those are relational viruses. If you find yourself without a lot of close friendships right now, the question might not be what's wrong with other people, the question might be what needs to change in you so that you can become the kind of person that other people will want to befriend. The issue isn't, I need people to encourage me. You go find someone else to encourage. I tell my kids all the time, if you're encouraging and you're generous, you're never going to lack friends. Second comment is this, because friendships take so much time and energy, I don't think it's possible to maintain more than three or four close friendships at a time. Jesus Christ had 12 disciples. Of those 12, he was the closest to Peter, John, and James. And the Bible says that he loved John the most. Sometimes when you want to be friends with a person, they're just full. They're just at capacity with their friendships. It's nothing against you personally. But you can only maintain a certain number of close friendships. Third comment is this, that friendships take initiative. 
Some of you hope you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and look at the edge of your bed and you're going to see three perfect friends going, what do you want to do today? And it's not going to happen. You have got to take some initiative. If you're not in a small group, stop off in the next steps area as you leave today. Join a small group, a couples group or a singles group or whatever it might be. We've got a barbecue coming up here in June called the Great EBC Get Together or Grill Out. You should go to that, meet some people. If you're in your 20s or 30s, we have so many people in their 20s and 30s who volunteer in our student ministry. And not only is God using their life, but they're meeting people and becoming close friends with people that they serve alongside. God takes some initiative. And then the final comment is this, every one of us will go through a season of loneliness. Some of you are there right now. College student, can't wait for the year to end, you go back to your dorm room and there's just a profound sense of loneliness. Young adult, just starting out in your life, go back to your apartment or your condo and everything's exciting with your job and all these things are going on and you might even go out with friends. But when you come home, there's just this sense, man, I'm lonely. Maybe you're married. Some people think when you get married, well, you're never lonely. Absolutely not true. Sometimes you're even more lonely. Because this person that you're supposed to be close with, when it's not going well, there you feel this distance and this coldness. And you can be in a house with people and feel so lonely. Or maybe you just notice, man, all my friends are getting together and I'm not invited to the neighborhood party anymore, what, you know, anything like that. And you're lonely. You need to know everybody goes through a season of loneliness. But you also need to know that that's a time when you can deepen your friendship with God. The Bible says this in Romans 5. Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Have you ever thought about God that way? That he's your friend? If you're in a season of loneliness right now, use that time to pray. Use it to serve God. Use it to deepen your friendship with him. And then you just wait. Because I can almost guarantee you that God is going to bring a Jonathan into your life. So who is that Jonathan? If you're a person sitting here going, yeah, I can think of two or three Jonathans in my life. They encourage me in my faith. Why don't you tell them that this week? Give them a call on the phone. Or if you're afraid of talking on the phone, send them a text message if you have to. <laughs> but let them know how encouraging they are to you in your faith. And if you don't have a person like that, start to pray and start to ask God that he would bring a Jonathan-like friend into your life. In fact, let's do that right now. Let's stand at all of our campuses and let's close in prayer together. Hey, here at Lionel Lakes, you heard John mention a little bit earlier about small groups. And I just want to let you know there's two ways you can sign up for a small group. You can stop off in the next steps area as you leave today and they'll help you get connected to a group. If you're a young married couple with kids, not with kids, you know, in middle age, whatever it might be, they'll help you find a group in that, in that demographic. We've also got workplace groups. So if you have some people at your work and you're like, I want to start a small group where you can meet over lunch, we'll help you do that. We've got common interest groups. If you love to hunt and you're going, I don't want to do the small group thing. Well, you can go hunt and then talk about some spiritual things while you hunt. We've got all kinds of different groups. So stop off in the Next Steps area or you can go on our website to Groups Finder. And you can find a group that fits you, but take some initiative when it comes to relationships. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for that person here who came into church today and they're sitting around a whole bunch of people, but they just feel a sense of loneliness these days.
maybe it's not even a big deal. I mean, they've got some friends, but they just long for that one friend that would encourage them in their faith and they could talk about their life with the deepest things that they struggle with. God, I pray that you would provide a friend like that and that they could be a friend like that to another person. God, for those of us that have some friends who really have encouraged us along the way or some family members who have encouraged us in our faith, help us to get outside of our world this week and just take a moment to thank them for how they have influenced us and how they have helped direct us and guide us into our future. And God, for others of us, we may need to make some really tough decisions in the next month or two because some of our friends are not leading us to the future that we want with you. God, I pray that we would have the courage there are times to leave a friendship and move into other friendships, and I pray that you give us the courage to do that. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.